Hello, and welcome to the latest FT Advisor podcast for Talking Point. My name is Ema Jackson-Obot, and I'm Deputy Futures Editor at FT Advisor. MSCI describes thematic investing as a top-down investment approach that relies on research to explore macroeconomic, geopolitical and technological trends. These trends encompass long-term structural shifts arising from new business models, disruptive technologies and changing consumer tastes and behaviours, megatrends that have the potential to change whole industries and shape the way we live, work, travel and treat disease in the future. Thematic investing is intentionally future-focused around specific emerging trends that are expected to evolve over time. But in the current economic environment, how have thematic funds fared and how do they fit into a portfolio? Here to talk about this are Kenneth Lamont, a Senior Manager Research Analyst at Morningstar, and David Doherty, Investment Director of Thematics at Schroders. Hi to you both. Thanks very much for joining me today on this podcast on thematic investing. If I can come to you first, um, David, can you just talk uh, through with us or how you come up with thematic funds and how you build the portfolios? Yeah, absolutely. Um, our belief is that the, the it's important to have an overarching framework of, of thinking about thematic funds. So for us, the themes that are the most powerful are the ones where there's an there's a, a, an example of where human ingenuity is igniting innovation to overcome or tackle imbalances in the world so the imbalances might be between people and planet you know population and resources so climate change would be an example of that where energy transition is the response they might be imbalances between supply and demand in individual industries where there's unmet demand or inefficient supply and then disruptors come in um, innovate and, and change the dynamics of the industry so there's that notion of a long-term powerful theme is one where ingenuity is igniting innovation to resolve imbalances. And you know, to us, that makes sense because you know we often talk about necessity being the mother of invention. We use expressions like um, something being the best thing since sliced bread. So we're looking for, for that framework. We're looking, therefore, for things that have longevity as well. So we're looking to avoid um, themes that are cyclical or, or short-term fashions. So we're looking for time span. And, and as odd as it may seem, we, we think it's important to understand the future because quite often the things that are driving themes, you know, if they've driven behaviours in the past and driving them in the future today, they're likely to be driving them in, in the future. So we're thinking of you know, existential needs, efficiency, enjoyment, those kind of things. You know, the Romans came up with the first or one of the first smart materials. It was volcanic ash that they put to help build the Pantheon. So Smart materials is a term they didn't use then, but it, it's it's something that's been important throughout time and is likely to matter in the future. So, so we're looking for that longevity. Obviously, the themes need to be investable, so we need to have the securities, the corporate entities to invest in. The key element in all of this is the themes that we want to invest in need to have an investment universe, which is an optimum size. So it, it needs to be neither too narrow nor too broad. So if it's too narrow, it stops the portfolio manager from navigating the theme as it plays out and if it's too broad it means that it takes away the precision that the underlying investor wanted when they invested in the theme in the first place and of course let's not forget and the final point really is we're, we're looking to to make money out of these themes so the theme may be interesting but we need to find companies to invest and we need to pay the right price for those companies 
So really those kind of five elements really, I think are the important ones for us in, in, in selecting a theme. Thanks for that, um, um, David. Um, um, Kenneth, did you, I wanted to ask you, how, how do thematic funds fit into a portfolio, and particularly in the current economic environment? Well, hello. Um, I, I will start with the you know the important questions. Um, uh, broadly speaking, and um, we've mapped the whole global universe of thematic funds. Um, broadly speaking, they fit into two categories. So one would be um, funds which would be a potential substitute for core growth exposures in your portfolio. Uh, these would tend to be um, broader, often tracking multiple different themes. So broad. Them- Thematic funds, as we would, um, as we would call them, um, and those may be suitable for for sort of replacing a, a, a broad core building block within a portfolio. Um, and the rest of the thematics out there um, are are um, tend to be much much narrower. Um, they should be used um, tactically mostly. They shouldn't you shouldn't be pouring all of your wealth into these things. Um, they are risky by design to some degree. You're, you're isolating very specific risk and return characteristics if done correctly, and it should be used with that in mind. Um, so they should not necessarily form a large, por- a large portion of your of your portfolio. Um, and in many cases, I would actually argue the best use, um, particularly of ETFs, um, would actually be a single stock substitutes. So many of um, the listeners to this podcast may even have um, one or two thematic plays um, sitting in their portfolio in in the form of single stocks, so that could be Tesla, it could be Nvidia, um, or or any host of other stocks. Um, and actually, you when you buy these these stocks, you're actually taking on um, idiosyncratic risk or stock specific risk. So by buying a basket of of, of stocks um, in, in an ETF or, or, or a traditional fund wrapper, um, you can actually diversify away some of um, some of that risk as well. Okay, um, great. And and is there anything different that um that occurs with you in the approach with regards to the current you know economic environment that we're in, or or because or is or does it not really change because thematic investing traditionally has a long term investment scope um to it anyway. Yeah. So, so so these are um traditionally growth funds. So our, our own research has shown I think around three quarters of them sit within the growth portion of the Morningstar style blocks. So they have an explicit growth bias. So not all, but we're really talking about a growth story here. Um, so these funds tend to do well on aggregate um, when growth stocks do well and 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 uh, not do well when they don't. Um, so that's you know that, that's really where we are. And, and they have done very, very well. I mean the post-corona period, these these funds performed some of them exceptionally well. And we can discuss that perhaps a little bit more um, later. But clearly as the markets have tumbled, tech stocks have taken um, something of a beating over the last sort of 18 months plus. Um, so have thematic funds, right? So you, you just have to understand that. But actually, I think that's fairly positive. I think the the, um, the valuations that if you are coming to thematics for the first time, they look much more sensible now than they did 18 months ago. Um, but also really just to emphasize that 
these investments should be i mean by by our definition they are they are supposed to transcend the traditional business cycle you shouldn't they will go up and down with the business cycle and sometimes they're high beta um investments but ultimately you should be investing for you you should be assessing the length of the theme the maturity of the theme and buying your investment in relation um to that so actually these fluctuations they can provide sort of entry points but ultimately your 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 investment horizon should be much longer than um than than just you know next year or or, or next week, and and we'd agree with that analysis that you know the, the thematic and you know, can't be immune from markets and cycles and you know, of course there'll be bumps in the road in, in themes but you know I think if if we if we build the portfolios with a, a sense of discipline you know following those criteria that I mentioned before then you know over time they should do well and I think one of the the elements and you asked at the beginning about how to actually build portfolios and i mentioned how creating a universe was important we also think that it's important within a theme to to build sub themes because that that allows the manager to to navigate the theme through time so there will be pockets of 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 securities within a theme that will move up and down in terms of valuation so if you take something like the energy transition theme the value chain for sake of argument can go from wind farm to smart meter there and with the transmission and distribution and, and those other areas in the meantime so there will be an opportunity for you know, different valuation attractions to come and go at different times so that navigation piece as well i think is important to 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 be able to deliver what kenneth was talking about you know that long term performance never immune from stock markets can never be can never be immune from the economy but if if they're built correctly in the, in a kind of disciplined way we think they can do well over the long term Thanks for that, um, David. Um, are there any themes that you like at the moment in particular, um, David? I'm, I'm always reluctant when asked that question to, to nominate my favourite children. Um, but in thinking about themes, I mean, there are a number of areas that um, that we, we think are interesting in, in sort of broad categories. Climate change is an area which has been an important area, natural capital, demographic shifts, societal change technological innovation you know these are all kind of bigger picture themes but i think in terms of just to to, tr- to try not to to name a favorite child but to give you a bit more more color than to plead the fifth on that question the things that we've been doing lately is we've been developing a number of of strategies or, or themes within but within that natural capital management piece so um, sustainable food and water is a theme that we we like at the moment the circular economy is one that we think is important and we've been developing and working on a on on themes in areas like sustainable infrastructure, which I think is an is is an important area, a big issue because there is there's more demand than there is supply of sustainable infrastructure. And then if you expand into the areas like technological innovation that I mentioned a minute ago, digital infrastructure again, massive imbalance between supply and demand there, and also areas like smart manufacturing. And I guess the, f- the final one that that we look at and clients are increasingly asking us about is the extent to which we can develop multi-thematic offerings. And I suppose the, the, the reason they're asking is because they want to be able to make help for us to help them make the decision between the relative attractiveness of one theme over another. And I, th- I think in principle, that's a very interesting area. But of course, in doing that, one has to be careful that by building a multi-thematic, you haven't just replicated the stock market 
and in so doing again you've taken away that precision that the client wants so i suppose that's that's how our thinking is at the moment in terms of of themes that we're we're, we're liking and looking to develop thanks david Ken, uh, do you do you have similar ideas around around themes at the minute and also what's the sort tends to be the difference between an uh, different sorry between an active and passive approach well, I'm I'm going to follow David's lead and be and be a little bit tricky with the question. Um, and 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 um, so I'm, I'm actually going to perhaps a little bit controversially. I'm actually going to say first what I perhaps a theme that I don't like right now, um, which is which is artificial intelligence. So that's something that we track. We track a lot of funds, and that's not to say that I don't think artificial intelligence is um, going to change the world. I absolutely think it is, um, but we've seen. Since Chat GPT launched at sort of the end of the tail end of last year, and this mass adoption we've seen, and this this huge amount of excitement, sort of we've seen certain stocks um, really, really benefiting from this. Um, that's not necessarily a problem, but when you have hype and you have a sort of global hysteria about a technology, there's um, I, I don't want to quote the wrong person here, but um, I, I've heard Bill Gates be credited with the phrase that you know technology doesn't move as quickly as you think in the long run, but changes more. Sorry, in the short run, but changes more um, in the long run. So there's, uh, you know, when 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 everybody's excited about a theme, that's for me a sign just to maybe take your foot off the gas and step back a little bit. So I, I absolutely think it's got the long term legs it's clearly going to change the world it's clearly going to benefit some companies um but just if you're looking at a moment you know which theme looks good today versus you know in one year's time um you know i I i would say actually stand off artificial intelligence perhaps a little bit um and then actually again just i i we we didn't share notes before this but i i just uh um i'd like to in some ways agree with with david in the sense that for me the themes that i do find interesting are perhaps twists on more mature themes anyway. So I like water technology, I think. So water has been around for a very long time, um, but taking a sort of a, a solutions-based approach to water because we clearly have a global problem to solve um, and it seems to just be getting worse. Um, and I think it's 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 a very compelling um, theme. And, and sort of secondly, I'd say energy transition metals. So energy transition is a very crowded space, um, but energy, energy transition metals in particular are, are, are a very specific bottleneck in, in, in all of this. And um, perhaps not every ESG investor would be happy investing in sort of mining companies. But um, if you're looking to play the energy transition, um, this this also seems like um, um, a fairly sensible way of um, of getting that exposure. And then to your to your second question. Um, because we slice and dice the universe, we look at everything. Um, they, I mean, I can, so the question was the difference between active and passive. Um, I would argue that all thematics are active to one degree or another. Um, every single fund defines a theme differently, it tracks a theme differently. Um, and so just because it doesn't mean it's not active. So that's just really the first thing. Um, and then the core difference is, is really based on flexibility. So an active manager tends to charge more, um, but with that um, can can adapt through time. Um, themes inevitably will evolve through time. Um, an active manager can choose to use many different data sources and change them through time. Um, perhaps can dip down the cap spectrum on occasion to go into slightly less liquid names, maybe, um, where um, shouldn't allow um, a passive fund to have that level of flexibility. Um, but then clearly on the flip side, 
passive funds tend to be cheaper, although in, the, in this case, not that much cheaper in some, in sometimes, um, and also the transparency, so you know exactly what you're investing in. Thanks for that. And again, we, ha we, we haven't colluded beforehand <laughs> on this, but, but in terms of that, you know, that active-passive point, I mean, they're similar in the sense that active and passive are both trying to access themes in terms of objective, but, but we would absolutely agree with that flexibility point, and there's a greater dynamism with active, we believe, um, in being able to incorporate stocks into a universe, and, and also with thematic like any investing um in active we're looking to buy the winners and avoid the losers so you know for all of those themes that, that kenneth and i've both been talking about there will be companies that for whatever reason aren't able to execute on the opportunity and you know our endeavor is to with an active approach is to avoid those companies and, and and pick the winners so we believe we can do that better and you know, in the early days of of a theme evolving we can have a you know, relatively larger position in a company that we think will be a, a successful company and then later inactive in a way that we can't necessarily do with passive because it tends to be a bit backward looking we we can be coming out of a security which as in the theme has matured has then become a very large part of that passive universe interesting thanks for that i, I actually saw a I, I didn't i wasn't familiar with this term but water stress i saw it in the news recently talking measuring countries um who have available sorry which measures the amount of available supply country uses to meet demand and we're pretty um yeah, I think we've got quite big challenges over here. I think Lebanon was the, was among the countries facing the worst severe water stress, but there are um, other countries like the UK is quite high up there as well. So um, to your point there, um, um, Kenneth, um, thanks for that. Uh, we, we, did, we did a survey recently uh, where we asked um, advisors, um, basically we asked them how familiar their, their clients were with the term thematic investing and and uh, almost all of them said that less than 30% of their clients were. But I just, I wasn't sure, perhaps, is it that advisors are using the investment approach, but maybe by another name, or are there not enough advisors considering the thematic investment um, um, approach as, as an investment strategy? Can I can I ask you that, come to you first with that question, please, Kenan? So thematic investing is, in my eyes, as old as investing itself. So you're investing in a security based on its um, exposure to certain themes or technologies that, are, that, are, that you expect to play out and you expect to profit from that. Um, what I found interesting when I did a bit of research um, last year or a couple of years ago now um, on the history of thematics, I, I assumed because over the COVID period in, in Europe, they jumped from 2%, where they'd been for a long time or below um, of the total equity market, up to 6 and 6 7%, where they, they haven't really budged from that, even though performance um, hasn't been great. Um, but, I, but I sort of assumed they were, they were sort of a, maybe perhaps a late 90s invention. And so I went back to have a look uh, and actually uh, discovered the Television Mutual Fund, which was launched in 1948 to take advantage of the cutting edge technology of the television. This was before the color television was. Um, I was sort of a common feature in, in, the, in the front rooms uh, around the world. Um, so I, th I thought that was very charming, but it also tells you something to it. So they've, they've existed for a very long time, um, but it really has been uh, recently that we've seen them uh, sort of, I, I suppose, 
forced their way onto the onto the front pages in some cases um, um, of of sort of investment media um, and and really represent a large portion of the uh, of the investment universe. So it's not surprising to me that something that's been a relatively recent phenomenon hasn't quite been um, picked up by. Uh, you know, advisors necessarily. But what I would say is, and having spoken to many advisors, is that they tell me their clients are coming to them. And maybe it's a different terminology, but essentially asking to engage with their investments thematically. So they're they're coming, they're talking about AI, they're talking about Tesla, they're talking about thematics under a different guise, perhaps. So this this could just be a terminology issue. Thanks for that, Kenneth. Um, um, David, do you have similar thoughts around that? Or what do advisors say to you? I just, just reflect on Kenneth actually thinking that about the same time as that television fund, of course, was the first was when AI came along, wasn't it? I think, wasn't it back in that that period of time? And of course, wasn't t- discussed for, for many a year. Um, I think it's, you know, Kenneth's done that research on the, on the stats that it's it, in it's still a small percentage, but a rapidly growing percentage of equities. So I think there's an argument that it's a, you know, fairly early days. Um, people are beginning to to pick up on it. I think you know, that the younger demographic has has shown, you know, relatively speaking, more interested in that. So I guess that will will filter through. Um, as to, you know, wh- whether it will continue to grow, I just think it's part of that whole notion of empowerment. You know, when when investors have an intellectual or emotional connection with something, they see no reason why they can't invest with those considerations in mind. And I think you know the industry's responded to that, hence the, the growth that we've seen. In terms of what advisors are saying when when we meet advisors, um, is they they kind of want to know as, as they wrestle with thematic investing, they want to know what our philosophy is. I, I can only imagine they're asking the same question of other portfolio managers as well you know, how do we think about thematics philosophically and what do we mean by it but then moving into that question of the devil in the detail of, of how do we actually execute from a practical perspective and then you know quite quickly thereafter they're wanting to know what the the characteristics are of the of, of the thematic strategies and the kind of points that, that kenneth was talking about earlier in terms of factors and and other Kind of investment characteristics because i think ultimately that interest that they themselves are getting the advisors are getting from their underlying clients that empowerment point they want to be able to articulate to the client you know how they feel about the various different offerings that are out there in thematics so the philosophical understanding and then the detail of how actually are we and other fund managers executing um, thanks, David. Um, um, Kenneth, you wrote a recent article where you said that um, thematic funds were some of the, you, you already spoke about that earlier on actually in this um, recording, were some of the biggest winners in the post-pandemic recovery period, but they've also have been some of the hardest hit in the subsequent market downturn. And you also said that while, um, that despite the recent struggles, thematic funds are here to stay. Can you expand on that, please? Uh, yes, certainly. Um, so, I believe that the thematic genie is out of the bottle. Um, when COVID happened, um, we saw some of thematic funds giving you sort of three-digit returns when when the MSCI world would give you perhaps 12% over that same period. So the, 
there was there was for me an element of validation here. Um, some of the criticisms of thematic investing in the past is that are you just paying more for a, a traditional sector fund exposure or just you know broad tech or something? Um, and really, many of these funds for me justified themselves. They showed that they have very distinctive risk and return drivers that were being um, um, that were being targeted um, over this period. Um, so I and and I think that the performance. The impressive performance over this period. Clearly, there are negative sides to this too, but it really pushed them. Hadn't considered them before, um, so so there was there's there's a new um, um, audience, I suppose, for these um, um, for these particular funds. Um, but I would I would I would go deeper than that, and I would say that there's actually the the traditional gigs sector categorization and uh, sort of geographic categorizations. Um, are honestly less meaningful than they ever have been. Um, many investors just don't feel that the traditional sector and, and geographic frameworks adequately capture the risk and return in the highly globalized, highly interconnected uh, modern world that we that we live in. Um, and I, I can't help but agree with them, to be honest. Um, and then finally, I would say that this is where get, things get a bit meta. So there, there are a couple of themes that are driving, you know, global themes that are driving the adoption of thematic investments, I would say. And one is the democratization of finance. Um, so this is the increased retail participation directly, um, the ability for um, the hypothetical uh, man or woman on the street to um, to actually put their money where their mouth is and to engage with their with their investments directly. Um, and this is interconnected with the mass customization of finance, which David also um, talked about. So this is connected with empowerment. It's it's allowing um, investors to tailor their portfolios to meet their requirements. And they want to, you know, the, the demand is actually coming from, from the investor. They want to, you know, if they're interested in the technology of AI, they want to feel invested in it. They want to feel um, they've got some perhaps skin in the game um, as well. So I, I think all of those Things tied together are very supportive um, of uh, of the continued rise of thematic investing or or investing through a thematic lens. Put it that way. Fantastic. Thanks very much, um, Kev. Also, could you tell me a bit more about the framework you developed for assessing um, thematic funds? Yeah. So I I, I name checked it earlier. Um, so we've created a, a global fund level. Um, framework for classifying thematic funds. It's based on intentionality. Isolate um, and build peer groups of funds which say they track the same theme, um, and that's that's already available, you know, throughout our products, etc. But I'm I'm actually quite excited to share that we're um, hopefully soon to be launching uh, thematic purity scores at both a stock level um, and and a fund level, um, which. Um, is is very exciting. This is this is quite um, a large thing. I've not seen anything like this um, uh, before, or certainly not at this scale. So um, we're we're very excited to see how it's received um, um, by the market. So um, watch the space for that one. Linking back to your earlier question, Emma, about the you know, is, is this here to stay? I think that the very thing that Kenneth is talking about demonstrates that it that it absolutely is here to stay because what what people want and uh, touched on it earlier is is authenticity you know they want they've got that connection and they want to find a way that precisely allows them to access what's important to them so i think it's a natural and really important evolution of thematic 
um, the thematic world for those kind of analytical tools to develop because when a a client is deciding what the options are in a particular theme that will allow them to ask the right kind of questions you know I mentioned at the beginning our kind of framework and the things that we look to to check to see if a, if a theme is viable you know i think it's only right that the investor can do that and you know kenneth's um model helps them do that and then they can make a judgment and also it can allow them to to compare performance against like for like strategies you know when you know, when they're just trying to make a decision as to which area to invest in. Fantastic. Thank you so much. Um, thank you, Kenneth, and thank you, David, for um, joining me today. And thank you uh, for listening. Uh, please tune in next week for the next edition of FT Advisor Podcast. Thank you very much. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.